0: Oops, he's run off. Hang on. He's gonna run to, he's running to the pond.
1: Mark's just gone to chase Bob, who's gone to the pond.
0: Bob, come here. That was good.
1: <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, I went for a stroll with actor, writer, comedian, director. I could go on. But we have a podcast to do. So let's just say the endlessly talented phenomenon that is Mark Gatis. Mark met me on London's Hampstead Heath with his gorgeous Labrador, Bob, who it's fair to say was a little speedier than my Shih Tzu Ray, a bit like the Lewis Hamilton to raise Milk Float. Mark, as you'd expect, is a fascinating and incredible person to go for a stroll with. He told me all about his childhood, growing up in the Northeast and his family dogs, Whiskey and Brandy, his decision to go to drama college, which led to the utterly brilliant League of Gentlemen, And don't worry, we also obviously discussed his collaboration with Stephen Moffat on the award-winning Sherlock. We chatted too about what makes Mark tick as a person, how he sometimes struggles to say no, his experience of coming out, and also how he dealt with loss. I kind of expected Mark to be funny and charming, but I guess I was really struck by what a kind, gentle person he seemed. But look, the man's got a Labrador. That was a bit of a spoiler alert. I adored my walk with Mark and I really hope you do too. If so, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. I'll shut up now and hand over to the man himself. Here's Mark and Bob. This is going to be an exciting walk. So what walk. we usually do
0: once we get past the Lido is let, I let, we let him off. Come um, on Lee. And then he goes bananas. Look, so. you
1: see, look at this Mark.
0: Bob, I must tell you, will move speedy.
1: That's why we have to let Bob soul sing openly. Yes. And he has to do his own thing. Come on, Ray. You can follow behind me and Mark. Why Ray? I liked the idea of having an old pub regular's name. Yes. I like Raymond. <laughs> and then in a, a little, I suppose there's a, a slight burst of sentiment because it's my late sister's name was Rachel and we called her Ray, Ray oh, nice. and I thought it was a way for her kids to sort mm. of it's a nod to her without it feeling a bit over the top yeah, you know yeah. I didn't want to give him her full name might be a bit weird <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: it's a vexed issue though isn't it I, I mean our old dog was called Bunsen and that was um, that came about because when I was a kid we had we had a West Highland Terrier and I remember, I remember the, it's 1973, I remember the preparation for getting a dog was so exciting. And I was, I thought, well, we can call the dog, you know, Winston or something interesting. And, and we got the dog and of course, my dad decided to call Whiskey. And, and then a few years later, Whiskey ran away whilst on heat and got up the duff by this rangy mongrel up the street called Shane. And had a litter, which all died except one, and we kept the survivor. And I thought, now we can call the dog something interesting. The dog was, therefore, called Brandy, and so we had whiskey and brandy for a while. Um, So I always said, when I had a dog of my own, I'd give it an interesting name, like Buns. And so that's what happened. But when we got Bob,
2: we went through the whole
0: the naming process again. Of, and it was my partner Ian's turn, really. But we went through all kinds of things. We thought about Plum Bob, (laughs) And then I thought, what are we doing? We just, and then weirdly, as soon as he arrived, he was just obviously Bob. He's just a Bob.
1: I have some questions for you, Ree, Bob, but I've just (laughs) realized, Mark, because- I'm going to let him off now. Possibly the world's greatest storyteller. You've already told me (laughs) this wonderful story about dogs and your history of them. And I haven't even introduced you. Oh,
0: yeah. So We can re-edit this.
1: <laughs> this is Walking the Dog. Normally at this point, I would list the person's profession, all the things they did, the things that had made them celebrated and well-known, but we don't have two and a half hours to do <laughs> that. I'm with the very wonderful Mark Gatiss. I say Gatiss, that's right, isn't that's it? That's right. Do some people say Gatiss? Yes.
0: Those who are dead to me. <laughs> you did, that was very good, because I was, uh, what I usually have to do at this point is, we have to go back and do it again. So that's, that's gone very well. <laughs> it's a good start, yeah. milk, it's isn't a good it? a start. You know, the strange thing is, is, I find, it, is when people get a bit funny about it, as if you're sort of saying, you know, people make, them, it's something like, you know, they accidentally put milk in your tea, and you go, all right. <laughs> it's like, it's my name, it's my fucking name. Therefore, I I would like it to be correct. (laughs) I don't think it's too much to ask. My dad's always been very hot on it. Strange thing happened, my my Uncle George emigrated to Australia in the 50s and he didn't come back, they lost touch, he didn't come back until 1980. And then it turned out that in order to avoid endlessly correcting, he had allowed himself and his family to be called Gattis. (gasps) <gasps> and so my cousins out there in Australia are actually called Gattis, and my dad was incensed at this crime against history.
1: <laughs> Bob. Bob. Bob seems ever Bob. so good-natured, Mark.
0: He's adorable. There he is. He's uh, a Labrador, and therefore entirely made of good nature. And, and he's a golden silliness.
1: Is it called a golden Labrador? He's yellow actually, Labrador.
0: He's actually technically fox red. His mother was much redder.
1: We should He's say that noise is we bring someone along for the sound effects. He's sort of an out of work <laughs> it's actor. It's Percy Edwards. Yeah. You Percy <laughs>
0: Edwards used to do it in the old days. I was watching... Uh,
1: on the radio plays or uh, something. Yeah,
0: I was watching something from the 70s the day on YouTube. There was this uh, amazingly nostalgic moment where there was obviously supposed to be a cat or something outside the room, and I thought that's Percy Edwards because it, it used to be such a distinctive sound of him doing animals. And we all, <laughs> as children, we all knew it wasn't real.
1: And <laughs> he was like a famous. What would you call him? Right, voiceover sound effects.
0: Animal impersonator. Yeah,
1: animal impersonator. Yeah. yeah.
0: Those are the days. There was also that marvelous thing, which is now <laughs> totally gone, where they used to get ladies to do the voices of children do you remember it, it, it went on in the arches until about 2003 yeah. it used to give me the creep so much oh mummy
1: I don't think I want to go to school today
0: <laughs> it was so disturbing
1: oh look at this he's he's met a nice collie that, this feels like the 70s a Labrador and a collie yeah, yeah. I hope it's called
0: lady <laughs> 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 they used to be didn't they not anymore.
1: They were always called Lady.
0: <laughs> what were the boy dogs called? Chain. Yes, R- rec- genuinely Rex.
1: I want to go back, because I've met the wonderful Bob. I want to go back to the Gatiss, not Gatis, Yeah. childhood, mm. which was in the northeast. Is yes. it Tony Bear's constituency on yes, there? Yes,
0: it was. Uh, it was one of the strangest. Sedgefield, is it? Sedgefield, yes, I was born in. Um, a maternity hospital called Hardwick Hall, which is now a, st- it's a stately home, converted and now I'm back into a hotel. It's quite a swanky place to have been born, although it wasn't at the time. I've only been back once <clears throat> and they'd just done it up, landscaped everything, and I went up to the reception and said, I was born here, can I have a wee? <laughs> <laughs> and they let me, so that was good. Um, but Sedgefield, I, d- I was born there and then we, we moved to a place called Trimden. My dad was a colliery engineer and then we moved. He changed jobs and became a um, chief engineer in a mental hospital. And we moved to his place called School Acliff, which is where my dad still is. Oh, OK. Is Ray particularly interested in other dogs or not? Because Bob has a strange...
1: Bob, <coughs> Bob. Oh, Bob. Bob. He's, sort
0: of, he's really much more interested in the ball. But it's like, it's like people, isn't it? There's some dogs he has chemistry with and he just goes nuts. Really? He has a friend called Whiskey. He's a sort of his girlfriend. And <laughs> oh. they go they're crazy about each other. And it, you know, as soon as they see each other, something clicks, which is yes. different.
1: It's weird, Ray has that with Dennis, the Chihuahua. Yes. So your dad was, uh, he was from a family of miners. yeah. Yes.
0: My dad and my uncle Harry were the first not to actually go down the pit. I mean, they, they did, they went. He tells me still about these amazing things. He used to go down as in his engineering capacity, but not actually digging. My, Where's my grandfather and his father before him? And all the way back, I think to a, the Bronze Age, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were proper miners. Right. And as a result, I mean, you look at pictures of my granddad who died when he was 71. He looks about hundred and he died, he, you know, he had emphysema and all those terrible things. But I've got wonderful pictures of him and my grandma on the beach on summer holiday and he's in a three-piece suit with a, a homburg and his <laughs> and his trouser turnips rolled up that's that's his one concession to, to i find them oddly
1: moving those pictures yes. do you
0: it's a totally different life i mean that you know it's 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 not untrue to say that you look at people and they had older faces you can't believe that they look like, in fact i was thinking this watching a bit of the republican party convention and looking at people who claim to be twenty-five and yeah. seem to have the faces of
2: fifty—that
0: yeah. <laughs> sometimes um, experience or evil, in that case, can actually age you. And my grandparents' generation were—they had it very rough. And yeah. you know, oops, he's run off. Hang on, he's going to run. To, he's running to the pond. We better get a spurt on. Um, Here you go.
1: <laughs> Mark's just gone to chase Bob, who's gone to the pond.
0: Bob, come here. That was good.
1: <laughs> what happened? Uh, Ooh.
0: I forgot, this is where we usually put him on the lead before we approach the pod, because he always does that. What did he
1: do? Did he jump Ooh. in?
0: Yes, he's been in there. Oh, um,
1: look. Anyway, where were we? So your dad, when he, where did he work when you were growing up then? Was he at the... At
0: the hospital. The, the psychiatric hospital the
1: road, yeah. opposite you. Yeah. And... Did your mum what did she work or was she a homemaker? She maker? worked there
0: at first she was she looked after us and then um, she did work at the hospital for a bit because I used to go I used to go over there quite a lot well an awful lot but she did work there for a while but her main she was a secretary in a paint factory uh, for most of her most of her working life she hated I remember she? she hated it so much she worked at police headquarters for a while in the 50s. I've got lovely pictures of her, uh, again, secretarial, but it was, it was all a uh, sort of different stage of her life. That she, used to, she used to talk, there was this man called Austin Stoko, who was the man she nearly married. And he, he loomed large in my childhood, I used to think, because I used to imagine he was like a Russian prince or something.
2: <laughs> <Whoa>.
0: <laughs> Bob objected to that.
1: <laughs> what was that? Were going to oh, go was that genuinely a reaction to Austin Stoker? I think I
0: must have stood and Because
1: stood. then Daddy wouldn't be here, would Goes he?
0: true. Yes, you see, he? Oh, he knows.
1: Daddy might be a horrible <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and you had a brother and a sister? Brother
0: and a sister, yes. My brother's three years older than me. And my sister was seven years older, so I was, the, I was in an accident. Were I remember you? being told that.
1: Did your parents tell you that?
0: Uh, many years later. My mum took pains to say it was a very happy accident, but I, I remember being very shocked. I assumed it was some grand plan.
1: I think what I love about Bob is his constant enthusiasm. Every day is great, isn't it?
0: Well, you know, it's a dog's life. There is a lot to be learned from them because they're so... Uh, you know, they have a very simple view of things. It's just eat, sleep, poo, repeat. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's, a, that's essentially all of us, but... <laughs> but Bob enjoys it more. I think it's very interesting. people have I don't think you have to be a dog person or a cat person. I like cats, but, but I don't genuinely think you can trust someone who doesn't like dogs. I well, think there's some, you know, I think the same. I think there's something wrong with them and I don't think the same it doesn't have to be a clear distinction between dogs and cats, but if you meet someone who doesn't like dogs, there's definitely something missing, definitely.. But I've always loved labs, and my partner Ian never had a dog. They were obsessed with getting a dog. They eventually, after, this is so funny, my brother-in-law Neil started to drag a, um, a toilet roll uh, hold, you know, tube, um, inner tube, what do you call them? Like the cardboard tube a bog roll on a piece of string. And then his mum said, I think maybe we can get you a pet. They got a, a rabbit called Bluebell, but they were not allowed dogs. Ian's mum was very frightened of them. And this is the glory of dogs. Because when we got Bunsen, Ian's mother was really frightened, even as a puppy. And then she became utterly obsessed with him. And now is like, she's like a sort of, she had a Damascene conversion. Like St. Paul, she she adores dogs. She does nothing but look at dog videos. (gasps) And she loves Bob and she adored Bunsen.
1: Yeah, because you lost Bunsen.
0: Christmas before last, yes. Oh
1: Mark, I'm really sorry, that must have been awful. But do
0: you know, we, we made a conscious, difficult decision to get, an, to get another one as a crossover. And although it felt, it was felt disloyal, because it's, it's like planning, yeah. planning for the end, but it really worked. So we had Bob for uh, about 18 months uh, in Bunsen's declining years, and it really helped. It, it gave him a new lease of life, and then when Bunsen went it was such a help that Bob was there to come home to otherwise it's just like the definition of an empty nest you know and yeah it was it really helped honestly it, it seems mercenary but it's a very good idea
1: what kind of dog is that again Mark with the black mark on his eye is that like a that in
0: the in the water yeah
1: the one chasing his tail that oh way. that Why? yeah
0: it's like a sort of large in fact it's exactly like bullseye isn't it um <laughs> Bill, Bill Sykes a uh, terrier of some
1: kind, I'm not sure. Yes, he is like Bullseye, isn't he?
0: Bullseye! Best piece of dog acting in the world is in David Lean's Oliver Twist when, when Bill's killed Nancy yes, and the dog yes. cowers. I dread to think what oh, they were doing yeah. to it, to make it, but it's incredible, that. you have f- still got this bag of poo. There's nowhere to put it. Look <laughs> at That could be a separate podcast, carrying a bag of poo.
1: Tell <laughs> me, it was your family life. What sort of home was it? Do you know what I mean? Was it like a noisy extrovert home, would you say? Was there a lot of laughter?
0: Mm, no, I wouldn't. Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, it was very... I mean, I'm not going to overdo this, but <laughs> it was very solidly working class. And the more, the more I think about it, the more I realise how solidly working class we were. In term, I, I think about this constantly whenever I'm... Um, ask questions about you know what would be your last meal or so and I always say (laughs) beans on toast and I remember going on one of those uh Saturday morning kitchen things in fact it was Saturday morning kitchen and they were asking me about all these slightly rarefied foods that I just thought, God, I'm so basic. I really, I really am so basic. I absolutely, I can't stand so many of those things I'm just, and I fall back on my childhood favourites all the time. I really do. Mm-hmm. I had a bacon and egg sandwich the other day and I thought, you know, this is probably the best thing in the world. <laughs> L- literally bar nothing. It tastes like heaven. What could be nicer? So, um, yeah, I mean, that's how we, we grew up. Um, my dad was quite formidable. Uh, I, did, I drew a picture of him the other day and I put it put online and, and my, my old school friend from years ago, I haven't seen for donkeys, tweeted me saying, that's how I remember your dad. He was quite scary. And I thought, yes, he was. He's quite formidable. Mm. But a lovely man, just sort of quite short tempered and he worked incredibly hard. Um, I suppose we were all slightly afraid of him. But it was a very happy house. We had a great time. My brother was very shy. Mm. Um, My sister was, I think, probably the most extrovert of us, I would say. But there was, you know, seven years is quite a long time when you're you're little. Yeah. Um, So I really looked up to Jill. But she seemed, I remember, I have such strong, fond memories of certain things like, um, she went to see, she was obsessed with Bruce Lee. She went to see Enter the Dragon, which was an X, when she was 13. And, and I remember her getting dressed up to it. And she looks, in my memory, she looks like Jodie Foster a Taxi Driver. And <laughs> she was really dolled up to try and look older. And for some reason, I was sent to collect her from the bus stop when she got back. I can remember that so well. Just literally walking up the road on my own. It's only, you know, 500 yards up the road, but to collect her from the bus when she came back. And she was wearing this red coat with a fake fur collar. So strange, I can see that now.
1: That and funny? she was just thrilled
0: because she'd got in. Well, they must have been blind to think she was 18.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you always remember. Moments like that seem so huge, don't they?
0: It's your association with adulthood, isn't it? So yes. any glimpse of something, it's exciting, but it's slightly forbidden. Yes. And therefore, of course you remember it, because it's like, oh my God, this is, it's like being allowed to stay up late. Yeah. You don't forget those bits.
1: So um, people always do tend to dwell, understandably, I suppose, on the... Mark Gatiss grew up opposite a psychiatric yes. hospital, etc., etc. <laughs> um, but what I'm interested in is you being an observer, which I imagine you were and are, and that's been a big thing about your life. Have you always had that sort of, I guess it's a Sherlock, Sherlockian trait in a way, is that you go in and don't just see the woman on the bench, you see the shoes and you notice the details and
0: the bag of poo yeah
1: but you pick up nuance have you always been quite sort of empathetic and sensory I suppose
0: I guess I mean I used to my you know my party piece as a kid was doing impressions and so I was I I obviously used you know very used to copying people's voices and mannerisms and stuff like that but also because I read Sherlock Holmes from a very early age. I was obsessed with that idea of being able to do it, like all people are, I think, when they first read it. I remember going in the school bus and thinking, what can I deduce <laughs> about these people? And it, it never seemed to work as easily as it <laughs> could But, you know, lengths of cigarette ash or mud on people's trousers and stuff like that. But it was, it's the idea of it is so appealing. Yeah. Stephen Moffat calls it an achievable superpower. And that's really, that's it, isn't it? You sort of think, well, you can read Superman and think that's never going to be me but you sort of think maybe i could be sherlock holmes so yeah. so yes i mean it's not uh it was a combination between its observation and having an ear for it i think yeah that's what i when i first encountered alan bennett and the reason it spoke to me so clearly was it, it felt like someone had been eavesdropping on my my world and i couldn't same with kez i saw kez at school it was like why are they showing us this? It's just our bloody lives. It was, like, it was like a bleak documentary, especially the bit with Brian Glover as the PE teacher. So it's, that, it's, that, it's really having a kind of, um, yeah, sort of empathy for, and, and, uh, and an ear, an ear for, for dialogue and for characteristics, I suppose.
1: And, well, let's sit on that bench, Mark. (laughs) Exhausted. I think we should for a minute. Come on. It's a hill. It's Parliament Hill. So were you aware of being funny, Mark, when you were a kid? Making people laugh?
0: Oh, yes. I guess it was a sort of... I mean, the, the absolute cliche is it's a sort of bullying avoidance tactic. Not that I was bullied, but it was just a good way of getting on with people, or trying to get on with people, you know. I always loved funny people and funny actors and they were all, all my heroes were, you know, comics and, uh, comic teams like Python and not the night Foot news and, uh, Leonard Rossiter, Ronnie Barker, loved Ronnie Barker. So,
1: uh. Can we sit on this one, Mark? Yes. Mark's so cooperative.
0: I'm very bad at saying no. Are you? Yeah, here we are.
1: Are you really, Mark?
0: Here we are, moving benches.
1: <laughs> uh, are you go- do you confront people, Mark?
0: No, I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm getting better than I was, much better than I was, but it's... Again, there's, a, there's an Alan Bennett line which it struck me so profoundly I had to, I had to sort of put the book down and, and sort of take a moment. It's in his, it's in his diaries, in um, Writing Home, mm. and sometime in the 60s, I think it was Richard Avedon, the great photographer, um, took some pictures of him in Regents Park and persuaded him to climb up a tree and sit under an umbrella like an owl. It's a great picture. Mm. Um, but Avedon's assistant said to Alan, um, you're, oh, you're game, aren't you? And he wrote in his diary, I'm not at all. It's mm. just I would do anything other than be thought <laughs> difficult. And I remember I put the book down and thought, oh God, that's me. Because you know, it's true. Rather than, I hate, I hate, <laughs> I hate badly behaved people so much that the idea that anyone might think I was being a bit off or snotty, mm. I go the other way and I'm too accommodating. When I should actually just say, sorry I'm not doing that. I'm much better than I was. But I'm terrible at saying no. Really? Not not to not to projects, not to any other shit, you know, but just like I don't want to let people down and then you end up getting in a sort of you get in a slight sort of fix because you overcommit or you double book yourself and it's like and actually just in the end if you just say no i'm not sorry i'm not doing that it just goes away it takes years to learn that absolutely
1: well, it's years. that thing of i think <laughs> I, ne- I never in my whole life said i don't want to go to something what i would say is oh yeah that sounds great and then i'd spend two weeks thinking right now i need to send the next text saying i'm not sure i think i might be <laughs> yes. working yes, but i'll let you know because i'd worked out that three or four sort of stages of no, were are better than a cold hardener. But it's not. But it's not, is no. it? No.
0: And before all this, before the, the end of the world, I, I was fond of saying that my very favourite thing had become when something was cancelled. <laughs> it was so true. It was like you, that unexpected. What? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, brilliant. Don't have to go out. Don't have to leave the house. I've changed my mind about that now, because we, we really can't do anything. But that was that was definitely becoming my default thing.
1: Would you say you were quite insular as a child?
0: I'm. am afraid I'm a terrible cliche. I'm. I'm actually a very shy person who shows off on stage and things. That's true. That. I mean, I'm not. I still have. I still have sort of sometimes slight social anxiety. I'm very. Uh, gregarious and I love people, I love meeting people, I love company, but mm. I'm also weirdly um, shy. I, 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 again, I quite like to just not do things. Yeah. And I slightly catastrophise increasingly <coughs> about something, else. and then you just think, actually, it's absolutely fine.
1: And were you academic, Mark? No, no,
0: no. Br- see- I've got a very good memory, or I mm. used to have, and I'm, I'm very good on certain things, terrible at maths. I can't drive. I'm Really hopeless at a lot of things. And people, I, I do. Sometimes people, it's funny and they sort of say, oh, "Is there anything you can't do?" And I'm going, "How long have you got?" <laughs> it's, it's an extraordinary assumption. And um, I'm, I'm, what I'm lucky, very lucky, I do the, I do basically the two things I always wanted to do,
2: yeah.
0: which is to act and to write. And that's what, that's my job. So, so everything else is a bonus. But no, I'm not academic. And that started
1: essentially when you went to university didn't it i mean in terms of that's when you met reese and steve and jeremy at this acting college it was a drama college in sort of yorkshire yes
0: it's called breton hall it was a it was a, a leeds university college like a separate campus and they did um well it was like it was like fame yeah. we like to think of it uh, but they did two acting courses one <laughs> which was basically for soldiers
1: <laughs> Hard Times meets fame. <laughs> <laughs> Mr Gradgrine fame costs and ran away <laughs> you t- paying in for it
0: <laughs> sweet um, and they did theatre arts which was meant to be like a professional acting course and dramatic arts which was like TIE Yeah. Uh, and Steve and I in the same year on uh Theatre art, and then reaches the year below. And then Jeremy was actually at Leeds University doing English and philosophy. I, mean, I met him mm-hmm. about a year in. That's how it all started. But I mean, it was a kind of um, you know, it was a pipe. My my dream was to was to obviously be a working actor. And and I used to say, you know, what I'd love to do is to is to sort of get quite well known for something, which would then be a springboard to other stuff and that's that's oh kind God, of what, that's happened. Happened. That's exactly what
1: happened did you tell your parents and what would their attitude have been if you'd have said I want to be an actor to your teachers let's say or to your parents or people you were growing up with did that seem yeah why not you know was that the attitude no, they
0: were very they were it wasn't you know it wasn't sort of hard times. and they, they were very mm. supportive they just didn't think it was feasible mm-hmm. and they, you know they did the classic thing of well you need to have something to fall back on. You need a, a proper job, and and you could maybe do this in your spare time. <laughs> Little did they
1: thing. know that Sherlock would be your thing yeah, to I fall know. back on. It's, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, it's easy to forget how you know how how much good fortune and um, luck and turning up mm. does for you. Because um, I've got lots of friends, very talented friends, who've never had the breaks, and it's not fair. But that's that's the way it goes, you know, and. Um, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's easy to forget how, how completely unachievable it did feel. I remember, I did, not long after I left, uh, I did my first TV job, which was...
1: Not uh, long after you left drama school. Yeah, actually, no, yeah. that's not true, it was about two, year, two years yeah. after.
0: And I did this, I got my first TV job, which was a thing called Harry with Michael Elphick, which was a sort of oh, exactly. follow-up to Boone. Yeah. But it was filmed and set in Darlington, which is near basically where where I'm from. and. they were advertising for Darlington-born or based actors only. And I thought, well, this is a good chance. So I wrote from my parents' address, got an audition, got the part. And and I had to go, weirdly, I had to go back home to film this. And then the same casting director, Susie Bruffin, um, got me in for a Catherine Cookson. And I got that, and I thought, I'm on. Mm. And then then I didn't work for like two years, because that's how it goes. But I remember distinctly sitting in a pub in Islington And they were showing, this was about the year after, they were showing the Catherine Cook, repeating the Catherine Cookson. And I thought, at least that means I've been on the telly this year. (laughs) And it was a really big thing. It was like, no, if I, if I can keep it, even with repeats, if I'm just on the telly, then some progress is being made. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I remember once very vividly when I was living in Leeds, just after I left college, and I needed a job. And I went on this, um, like cold calling thing. And it was like, like Glengarry Glen Ross. There was this awful man who gave us this talk about how we had to go in there and basically hit the phones hard and all this stuff. Yeah. But I remember a tremendous <laughs> sense of liberation because I thought, as soon as he stops talking, I'm getting the bus home. And there, it wasn't because I knew I was gonna walk into something amazing or anything like that. I just thought, I, I <laughs> and he stopped talking and I took it to one side and I said, can I have a word? I said, I am completely out of my depth. I couldn't do this in a million years and I'm, I've got to go so yeah. I, and I remember sitting on the bus unemployed but, but happy because I thought well I can't do that sort of shit and I really don't know what else I, I suppose I probably would have drifted into crime um, <laughs> or uh, I suppose something I, I you know I, I worked for a while on a for a newspaper as a film reviewer and I worked in a kid's nursery in Leeds. Yeah. I just had no idea what else I could do. I just needed to do something that didn't involve maths and, <laughs> and wouldn't sort of brutalise me.
1: So with League of Gentlemen, Mark... Yes. Bob! Did you sense that sort of alchemy, you know, that happens when you get in a room with someone and you think, oh, there's a... Is- there's a connection of sort of spirits here, and it's a bit like-minded, and we are all on the same page.
0: Oh yes, but you know, then everyone thinks that about all the every band they joined. Think this is <laughs> this is good, isn't it? I mean, I, th- I really did think we had something, and but that that was no guarantee it was going to happen or work at all. And uh, you know, we we really put a lot of effort into doing those first live shows mm. to try and prove it. And then we, you know, when you when you get that first, I think back to those some of those sort of. It was a very heady time, of course it is. Uh, you always think about that, but it, we, we, we had a great laugh, but also we did work very hard. And and when we got the first bites of like, radio producers or something coming in, it was a guy called Humphrey Barkley, who was a legendary mm. figure. He came to see our show at the Canal Cafe Theater. And, and you know, he was very encouraging, but, but then at the same time he said, obviously you need at least two girls. Um, the sketches are too long, they're too dark. and and you know it's easy in retrospect to think, well of course, how could they not know you know this is the thing that the thing that made it particular is 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 not those things um, but but um, we had to we had to be very strong and really sort of think well no this is this is what we're doing, and I think that's the only way you can make you can you can make your own particular vision work and cut through is is to stick to your guns like that. We did make it a, a very not exactly a sort of pact. It wasn't like Stand By Me, but we we decided we knew a lot of other comics mm. and comic actors, and we we decided we weren't going to get distracted. We weren't. If someone said, you know, here's your own show or something to, to one, as if that would have to one of us, we wouldn't. We would stick to the plan. Yeah. And I think that's really, really worked for us. We knew some people who'd, you know, they had the first flush of had a TV pilot and then two of them went off and did a separate thing. And 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 it it just split the focus so much. They never quite got into Mm. the public consciousness. So we were very aware of keeping, uh, keeping to the plan.
1: And then you were quite as well, almost forensic about creating Royston Vasey as a place, weren't you? I love yeah. the idea of you almost mapping it out. Well, yeah,
0: we did. I mean, that was that was great fun. But we we all had such a shared experience of of the North
2: mm.
0: um, that we we spent you know, a long time literally, literally mapping out and naming like the estate, the new estate. And, you know, there, there was I remember the thing I remember the best was somewhere there was a big concrete tube full of wet pornography. And, and all those things we remember from playing out, you know, and uh, it was very real to us, I suppose. And actually, because the whole idea was to come up with a vehicle to contain the characters, which up until that point, up until the radio show, had been just only vaguely connected, then it's, it is like sort of populating a, a board game or something. You sort of map it out and think, right, this is where they would live. Uh, this is where that would be, and it was it was great fun doing that.
1: It retained credibility, I think. That show, you know, it just always felt like a sort of quite an art house piece in a way to me. I guess.
0: I mean, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with being popular, and we were very we were very popular. I, it was. An, I tell you an interesting thing. We went yeah. tour for the first time. Oh yeah. And the first tour was enormous. It was like seven months long. It was enormous. And I remember our promoter Phil McIntyre saying to us that. He said, this this strange thing happens. He used to, he used to represent Hale and Pace and in their heyday, their Sunday night show got like 12, 13 million viewers. But he said, no one would come out and see them. He he toured them. It wasn't that kind of show. Whereas our show, which at best got like three or four million, but it was was a cult show and people would come. I've always remembered that. It's a strange sort of, you know, they they don't necessarily translate in the same way. mass popularity does not equal uh people become sort of obsessed or really into your thing you know and we did we did have catchphrases but we we weren't trying to be conscious about them i'm old enough to remember when uh larry grayson (laughs) took over the generation game and of course brucey had he just he just minted them every week. He was amazing at catchphrases. And they tried to give Larry Grayson some new catchphrases. he
1: oh, the muck in here.
0: No, but they were, they were his. They oh, were the original?
1: They what were was real. the one they but on,
0: gave? They gave him one <laughs> at the end of the conveyor belt where he had to say, turn to Cameron and say, what a lot she's got. And it, it didn't work. And they dropped it after about three weeks because it just wasn't working. And I thought, well, if you try and force it on people, they won't have it.
1: League just opened up. I love it. I sound like an old actor saying "League." I mean, <laughs> League love. Um,
0: <laughs> uh, I did the dream in 37, and but
1: that just meant you could do pretty much anything you wanted, no. presumably. Really? No,
0: I mean, and this continues to, to this day. <laughs> the, these things just don't happen. Um, and I remember a wonderful interview with Ian McDiarmid, where someone said, "What would you say?" What advice would you give to your sixteen year old self? And he said that one thing does not necessarily lead to another. Yes.
1: <laughs> so yeah, true. You're and right, actually. Of course
0: it was amazing. We we had incredible opportunities. But we weren't suddenly given carte blanche to do anything we like and it continues to this day. You're only as good as your last success. And even then, <laughs> sometimes you have to remind people that it was a success. You you do obviously get a sympathetic ear, um, but but you have to, you know, the you don't just walk into these things. Making Sherlock, for instance, was, the, the, the actual, the commission was the most amazingly straightforward thing I'll ever, ever happen to me. Modern Sherlock Holmes, yes, that's, what it, that's how it went. But the actual process of of getting everyone to agree on the format, on the casting and everything, was as, was as difficult as anything ever is. And then, uh, of course, in retrospect, it all looks very straightforward because it looks like the natural order of things. But that's why you, once, if you have a proven hit, they tend to, to leave you alone more because it's obviously yeah. working. Yeah. Whereas at the initial stage, nobody knows. Nobody knows anything. Yeah. As William Goldman wisely said. And so the things that look obvious at the time are like really risky or. I'm is sure Holmes right
1: is was risky for you and Stephen Moffat to take that on.
0: You just have to make it for yourself. Mm. You, if, you sec, if you start focus grouping things or second guessing what then then you've not done you've lost you've lost haven't you so you have to, we we thought the show was very good but we had no idea it was going to become this international phenomenon and one of the frustrating things was in a, a valuable lesson in how these things work so we made we made what was essentially a pilot although it wasn't meant to be a pilot we we got the last bit of money for the year because it was the whole thing happened quite late yeah to make what was planned to be the first hour-long episode of a six-part hour-long six-hour series Um, and that became the pilot and then the bbc agreed to a series if we did them as 90-minute episodes because Wallander, which they just done had been a big success in that slot Mm. so we said yes but as a result the press decided that the pilot had been a disaster and it was i mean eventually i insisted that we put it on the dvd because I wanted people to see that it was very good, but it was just, we just remade it yeah. because we had to change the format and the director wasn't available, so we got someone else and all these, but I mean, it's, it's a lesson in how the press can
2: yeah.
0: instantaneously distort something and you have no right of reply, pre-Twitter. <laughs> you have nothing, Yeah, it just becomes the narrative and because it suits, it's obviously a juicy story. Yeah. It's like this fucking thing with rural Britannia now. The way that that has become, Yes. you know, Johnson slides out of his hole to have an opinion <laughs> about that, but not about A-levels or 45,000 dead. But mm-hmm. he can have a fucking opinion on rural Britannia, which they can't sing because there aren't any people in the hall. And people believe it. That's the horrific thing. It just, it's so, it's deadly. It really is deadly. The, the extent I think to which this country has become, and is increasingly going to become a kind of, a sort of Disneyland version of itself. Yeah. It's just boiled down to red buses and bobbies on the beat and, and Downton kind of cliches of, of what, what, we, what we are and what we, what we used to be, you know. It's, it's, it's awful.
1: I suppose he, It's Rebecca oh.
0: Front, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Rebecca <laughs> Front. We're doing a podcast. This is like a celeb meeting. <laughs>
1: Rebecca.
0: Hello. Hello. Hi. Come we on. can't
1: shake hands. Rebecca, I'm going to make you're you next. come on now. Look, you're oh, next. Yes, you can just carry on. <laughs> I know. This is we'll Bob. over the relay. Look at Bob. This is Raymond. I'm afraid he's too wimpy to walk. <laughs> oh, you're going oh, to have a little crazy. walk now, right? He's oh, shamed he's himself. Very lazy.
2: It, or, I mean, they both are. They're
1: all one. <laughs> no, but Bob's a proper oh, dog. So nice. How are you? Yeah,
0: very good. How are you? Surviving.
1: Mad isn't it? Yes. Oh, still been a bit yeah. Yeah. you don't need to
0: hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> so Take care. See, I'll Enjoy. I'll I'll drop you a line. Yes. I'll be listening.
1: <laughs> Bye. I have listened, it's great idea. Oh Rebecca, nice to see you. It's to see you.
0: Bye. There you are. Next one. Easy. Lined up.
1: Oh well done. That Mark. could
0: like a relay it could be like a relay in future. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> it?
1: <laughs> She's ever so nice, Ugh. isn't she? She's I a really wonderful one. Like so with Sherlock, yeah, this, people often focus on the fact that how you and Stephen have presented him, I suppose, which I personally love, is just that he's sort of other in a good way, in a way that I think is celebrated, that he's, he's sort of not neurotypical. And I know this sounds weird, but I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was older, and I remember I'd watched Sherlock before, and I'm sure loads of people felt this. I remember thinking, oh, I do that. I'm sure everyone felt that
2: watching
1: mm. it. I go not shake hands with someone, I get distracted, and then I hyper-focus and I miss appointments because I'm thinking about the shoes someone's got. And I thought, oh, well, OK, this is quite cool to be like this. I suppose that wasn't your idea to set out to no, make... No, because
0: you're not... I mean, I mean, the thing is, it's all in Conan Doyle. It's like yeah. you, can, you can diagnose in whatever way you want, I think, but the, the point is, clearly, Doyle, who was a... A practising GP, an ophthalmic expert, but actually, you know, a, a very, very clever man. He knew people, perhaps it was even in himself, who suffered from some kind of mania. That's what Holmes does. Yeah. And, and you know, the, my favourite bit as a child was when Sherlock would just sit on the sofa for three days <laughs> in his dressing gown and not move, not eat. And yeah. it's clearly based on real. It's a real totally. condition. Yeah. It's not specifically anything i think it's just he's he's very he's all brain that's what he says he he, his his body's just basically an engine Mm. It's just a a appendage to his brain all he cares about is thinking and problems and so within that you know there's a range there's a spectrum of of different conditions that covers doesn't it and Mm. but especially i think the highs and lows the sorts of bipolar aspect of it that's really familiar and it's all on the page it's not so you don't. We didn't have to set out sort of saying, "Oh, we're, we're going to make this Sherlock Holmes bipolar," or, or um, give have, him a
1: condition. Yeah, give him a
0: condition in that way because it's it's too limiting actually as well. Obviously, yeah, know, he's a genius. He's particular, and therefore, that's what makes him special. But actually, I mean, and without having to make it into a cause, mm. the idea that then that could be something you could celebrate is rather lovely. And also, you think about at last a bin (laughs) when you think about um representation or the things that you wanted you wanted to see as a kid which you didn't see then it's marvelous if people can look at that and say oh that's me or that's cool look suddenly i'm cool it's like seeing someone with glasses on
2: yeah (laughs) used to be for
0: me it was like it doesn't have to be a direct correlation you don't say oh that's I'm like I'm exactly like that and therefore you can just read into it different things about otherness or or not not being conventional in some way. Everybody I think looks for those things when they're growing up.
1: Did you feel as a gay man, did you feel that growing up? Did you feel different?
0: Yes, but I and it it's a strict this is a really interesting thing this because I I sought out any kind of representation on the telly. I mean, I've got, I've got photographic memories of certain play for today, plays for today, which had a vaguely gay theme, because I would just watch, you know, it was just like, it's like someone just suddenly um, opening a little secret door into something and then slamming it shut. I remember some of those things so well. But then weirdly, equally, I didn't feel antipathy towards Larry Grayson or um, John Inman or, or, Pe- or Dick Emery right. for, for taking the piss out of it. It was, it was but then, you know, that's, that's obviously because it wasn't used as a bullying tool, which it might've been for some. But interestingly, interesting, um, I was talking to Simon Callow a few months ago, because I watched this really good documentary about Larry Grayson. And Simon was, a you know, he was, he was in um, Gay Sweatshop and those early uh, gay theatre groups and I was saying how uh, brilliant Larry Grayson was he's an incredibly funny man and, and, and Simon said you see the thing is I can only think of him as the enemy and I was very struck by that 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 um, you know generationally it can yes. mean something they were th- what, what they were trying to do was absolutely fight that thing mm. Mm. and actually interestingly it sort of in a way still goes on because you might think that having Craig Revel Horwood and Bruno Toglioni on strictly mainstream Saturday night is a, is in some ways this wonderful advance because there's two very openly gay men in main, on mainstream telly. But I was saying this to a friend a few years ago and he said, but don't you think they're kind of like in the same sort of Inman Grayson way, they've, they've become like pet gays. And I thought, you know, there's, there is something to be said for that. That it's a sort of. Uh, there's yeah. something sort of tamed and neutered about them
1: yeah it's the it's the the camp friend in the disney film yeah you know who doesn't have a sex life yes essentially. yes you know you must never yeah. allude to the sex yeah. life lo- and did did you come out to your parents mark did you just tell them was that easy to do or it
0: happened you- um i was about 20 i think it was a lot later than i planned but you know you never want to actually <laughs> do it <laughs> you sit there and sort of Again. I could do it now. I could do it now. And then um, it was one night. I was I was home from college, I think. And my mum just suddenly after tea said, uh, "You've got a lot of friends who are girls. You don't seem to be interested. Are you not interested in girls?" And I went, and it was like that was it. And so we had a big talk. And then my dad was in the front room. And she said, "I, I said i oh, go better go and tell your daddy." She said, "No, it'll kill him." So I didn't. And then. I went back, and uh, I was on the phone to her about a week later, and she said, "I remember this so well." She said something like, "Oh, your uncle Jack came round. We've had snow." I told you, Dad. Um, <laughs> she just dropped it in. So I was sort of, I was denied my moment, but of course was hugely relieved.
2: Mm.
0: But then, in a funny way, I then had to sort of do it all again because it, it had been mentioned and then shut in a drawer. Mm. And I, and I thought, well, I, that's not really coming out then, if it's, is it? If, uh, if, if it's just sort of mentioned once and then we never talk about it. My sister came out in hives. she had Did she? Not, not because she, she was just shocked and it re, she had a physical reaction to it. It was extraordinary. My brother had always known. Mm. And, uh, but it was, it was fine. And actually, um, I don't have much patience with people who say that coming out isn't the thing it used to be. Because everyone's experience is different, mm. and um, you know, it just you might think that everyone in an age of social media has incredibly supportive friends and family, and it's it's not the case. You know, there are still plenty of people who are chucked out or uh, never spoken to again. Mm. Particularly, I think increasingly, what you're aware of is 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 from people from a different culture or. Uh, a religious background whose parents simply find it unacceptable that was something that didn't impinge um, in our, con- our consciousness in the yeah. same way before yeah so it's still very much not a straightforward process
1: so mark you're obviously you're a writer you're a creator um you're an actor you're everything and you often get called renaissance man because you and I know sometimes I've seen you react to that and go, well, I don't know how I feel about that. I would
0: say, so is Cesare Borgia. <laughs> that's that's who I aspire to be. <laughs> it's sometimes a lack of focus. Um, but I'm just very interested in lots of things. And I, I find it, one of the great joys of my career, I can say that now, has been the wonderful opportunities I've been offered. And then someone says, BBC Bristol said, do you want to do a three-part Landmark series about the history of horror films. I have. To, I'm going to go. Yes, I would. <laughs> and some things, things like that have just been wonderful. And actually, what I've done increasingly, I've done two documentaries about artists: John Inman and uh, John Inman, <laughs> John Minton, and uh, Aubrey Beardsley. And that again has been fabulous. I mean, they're just person. They're passion projects. And actually, to talk about stuff like that is such a privilege. Um, it's you know, it's it's just so interesting and I love I love it you meet amazing people go sometimes go to amazing places and it's not but it's kind of got something I think it's got meat it's got heart to it and it's about something it's not just you know going abroad for the sake of it or anything like that.
1: So your 16 year old boyhood self with Doctor Who and I suppose with Sherlock that's a lovely gift you gave that boy (laughs)
0: My eight-year-old self, I would say. Eight, was it? Eight's the prime age. But absolutely. No, I mean, I never never in my wildest dreams thought I'd actually get to write for Doctor Who. Because it it, it came off the air, I thought that was it. And and Sherlock Holmes, similarly, is a boyhood passion. You know, you just, who knows? These things are going to happen. So, yeah, it is. I mean, that's what... I've said this a lot, you know. If I really could go back in time um, and show my eight-year-old self this, it would it would blow his head. Um, It's just amazing, and I think the the thing that excites me, though, which wouldn't have excited me then, I think, because children are inherently more conservative, is is the idea of contributing to these things in a sort of ongoing way that it's not just about bringing back your old favourites. It's about trying to push the envelope so you're constantly doing new stuff. Mm. Because, I, and I say this all the time, as, as, a, as a desperately nostalgic child, <laughs> um, even when I was too young to be, the thing is you, you can't create nostalgia without creating new things. And I, and I do get very impatient sometimes with people who just, they just, and this is back to where we are with the state of this country, is, there never was a golden age in any respect. There were, mm. some things were good, some things were bad. It's always the same way. But you, you can't get back to that happy feeling, that happy place just by slavishly repeating things. If you don't push forward, you're dead. Barry Cryer, one of the greatest comic mm. minds this country has ever produced. One of the things I absolutely love about Barry is that he's, he never looks back. You know, he he's written, he wrote gags for Frankie Howard. He's worked with all the giants but he's constantly fascinated by anything new Mm. and it keeps him young and it keeps the whole idea young you know so I think what we did with Sherlock was was trying to restore it to its factory settings as it were by taking away the thing that was getting in getting in the way Mm. Uh, and getting back to this idea of it basically being a sort of odd couple flat share and people responded to it because they saw it new. And in fact, one of the great joys was people going, oh my God, I didn't realize that was from the stories. And you go, yeah, it's all there. You just, no one's told the story for a long time, you know.
1: Mark, tell me how you met your husband, Ian.
0: 20 years now. We met in a bank heist. (laughs) Um, He was the driver. (laughs) I was the sort of, you know, front man. Um, we met online.
1: Uh, oh, you were an early before, adopter, oh, very well
0: early done. adopter. Yes, before it was, before it was basically what everyone does now. Very strange thing. We didn't tell our parents for or our families for donkeys because it was still very much in for dig. Of course, now ev- it's literally what everybody does because, of, of obviously, it's the, <laughs> the only sensible thing to do. I think mm-hmm. I might try and find someone I have something in common with rather than randomly <laughs> hoping I meet the love of my life. In a, in a sleazy bar.
1: You work hard, don't you? You've got a strong work ethic. I do
0: work hard. It's good though, it's good for you. What else is there to do? It's, uh, I think sometimes you, I'm, not, I'm, I'm getting a lot better at relaxing. Are Just you? reading a wonderful new book about Agatha Christie and uh, her, her work rate in the 30s is so astonishing. It's astonishing. What she should have done actually was sat on some of these books and then released them later. Yeah. She often wrote four books a year, four of the, and four. Of the, you know, the very best she ever did. It's amazing. Really.
1: Actually.
0: But at the same time, it's also really good to take long walks and just lie down and think about other stuff and do nothing.
1: Do and you I find think, Bob good for that?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, again, one of the great joys on. of
1: look at that now. They, is that a Akita? A Akita? Oh, no, a Husky. Oh,
0: Husky. Uh, she needs uh, she needs a halter like Bob because that dog is pulling badly. Really? Um,
1: but, you know, there's a lot of those Huskies since Game of Thrones. Which, I mean, you meant you, you come out with a sentence and it turns out there's a 90% chance Mark was in it. Whatever you mentioned. I
0: don't know about that. But <laughs> I saw someone on Twitter the other day saying they were they were debating. There's a new version of creatures great and small and sam west is playing siegfried and someone had said um i wish that was mark Gates and it should i, don't, I mean sam is wonderful i literally saw him the other day and uh, he's perfect for siegfried but someone replied i i, I like them both but i think mark mark's in everything i thought i'm really not i don't think no. i haven't been on the telly for about
1: i wouldn't two describe years. you as in everything at all mm. i would describe you as in everything good
0: do. oh that's good
1: Mark, well, you—I've only ever heard nice things about you. I have to tell yeah. you, you've never seemed to have left a sense of who you are. You seem quite authentic. Well,
0: I hope so. My my motto is: work hard, don't be a, <laughs> and I don't think you can say fairer than that. But there I are there are, and most people are. Most people
1: are. Think nice. so? Yeah,
0: definitely. There aren't very many, and. You know, when you see him, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but also it's just the, it's so exhausting. I mean, the, the effort that some people must put into being not nice (laughs) and it, you know, I do think, I used to think it's about Michael Jackson. I, I used to think he'd sometimes wake up having had so many procedures on his face and just think, I wish I'd never started this. And I sometimes think that about really nasty people. Yeah. It must be so exhausting that they come home and close the door behind them and think, "Oh God." unless they're visited by three spirits, which yes. is the way out. Yeah.
1: Which, actually, such a pro, Mark, because Thank that you. brings us a Christmas carol, <laughs> which I, you have been writing, and I was really dying to see.
0: Next Christmas And it's now. going to be
1: next Christmas, is it? Touch
0: wood, mm. I mean, who knows? We're all, I mean, let's sit here.
1: Oh, the, let's thing I'm,
0: the thing I'm worried about is that there seems to be a collective idea that once we get to New Year's Eve, everything's going to be all right. The pandemic does not respect dates. Sit, come on.
1: Oh, you were doing that to me, Mom. <laughs> I thought, I was going to be Donald Trump. Come on. <laughs> Bob, get up. Get up here. Come, come on, you idiot. Bob. Bob, Bob. Sit on here. Come on, darling. Right, there we go. Oh, my God. Yes, darling. Good boy. Sit. <laughs> I thought that thing you did to start first stand up to cancer was so incredible mark described how you lost your mum to cancer and then your sister and i just think it was amazing that you did that
0: well you know the the strange thing about those things is you kind of what you want to do something and there's nothing much you can do apart from contribute donate so talking about it was a way of doing that, I guess. And then I suppose the surprise is, and if you found this, but you sort of end up just spilling your guts. I mean, I, I don't know quite what I thought I'd say, but I just said, I just said it all. <laughs> and it was very cathartic. It was, I mean, I suppose that's the thing Hi. that you live with, isn't it? Is, and I do think about this, the way that you end up <coughs> coping and is, but the danger is you stop, you stop talking about about them, yeah, and it's really good. I really, in, it was very cathartic, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed coming out of it. The other end, yes. I felt much better. Good. because the danger is you, do, you know, and this goes back to what my, 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 my dad's sort of attitude is much more about compartmentalizing things and shutting them away, and it's was not it? good for you. You know, you need to talk about it. Not obviously not all the time, because you can't live in the past, and you can't be internally. Modeling, but no. it's really important it's like looking at pictures or watching old films or something like that you just actually do mention them yeah rather than just as a sort of casual glance at a picture every now and then
1: amazingly
0: here is ian
1: bob went straight to ian hello hello do you want to take him
0: and we'll finish off
1: bob's going off with ian now <laughs> What does that mean for Bobby? And Does that mean he's going to get treats? Um, no, because I, don't, I, don't,
0: I've have, got I them. don't
2: have any on me.
1: Is Ian a good cop yeah. or bad cop? Um, Out of you two, who's strict dad and who's... No, we're not
0: strict. <laughs>
1: well, uh, you know, it's kind of equal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's very,
0: he's kind of equal with his affection. When we're doing yoga in the morning, I don't Mark said this, but he'll kind of come and lie on mm-hmm. each of us oh. in turn. He doesn't have a favourite. That's just because he wants to be fed. <laughs> We've started this in lockdown, yoga with Adrian, because it was important to give some structure to the entire nebulous days. Yeah. But we're keeping it up, it's good for you.
1: Come on, then. Nice so to nice, nice to, to meet you. Nice Hi Bob. You. Go on. To go back to what you were saying earlier, I totally agree with you, and I find, exactly like you, just Now it gets easier, because it's been a while for me. I don't know how long it's been for you, but I lost my sister... I guess it was 2012, so it was about Mm, eight years ago. Ten years. uh, Yeah, ten years, yeah. 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 And you feel... Oh, yours was ten years, Mm. you're saying, yeah? So similar. And I always... There are ways people describe it, aren't they? Like, people say, you you dance again, but you've got a slight limp and all this Hmm. kind of stuff. And I, I like to think, I remember her and I remember my mum, but I... I remember the funny bits more now.
0: You find, um, this actually wasn't long after my mum had died, but I was, one of the things we loved watching when I was a kid was Lily, the Lily Langtree story with Francesca Annis, And it came out on DVD and I was in, in the shop and I just thought, oh, I must get that from, I I remember stopping myself and thinking, oh my God, it's just, it was just such a natural thing to think, you know. And it still happens, you just, you just trip yourself up, don't you? But then it's increasingly in a sort of warm way, you kind of... But I, I think it's very important to not just steamroller on and think that's, that's over, that's gone, because it's, you're just then denying their existence. And, and also you want to allow yourself a good cry sometimes, or not even that, or a good laugh, you know, just a. I've said this before, but the, the week my mum, the, when my mum was dying, we all, it was one of the closest times we've ever had as a family. We sat around the bed swapping stories and we'd taken turns to make sandwiches and cups of tea and it was great fun and we just sort of laughed over her you know and talked to her and it was really important and when when she went it was a real wrench about that as well there was like a moment that just popped went and I think that's pretty good for people but as you said it's a club that everyone eventually joins and if people don't understand it it's because they haven't had the misfortune to join it yet but they'll go through it because everybody does and again everyone treats reaction in a different way i suppose you you um you uh find yourself missing odd little things or you have some very strong pang of memory or some fuzzy little thing that joins the dots and you go oh gosh you remember that and I, I was i mean my sitting my dad recently and you know he's got early stage dementia and, um He's exactly fine but it's much easier to talk to him about the past mm. and with some of which he remembers in extraordinary clarity and it's really, really rather nice because it's not you're not trying to piece something together you're actually talking about very specific memories and it's amazingly helpful to, s- to talk about childhood holidays and which suddenly spring into mem into life like that you know because there's particular things um, which anchor you, I guess.
1: Is your dad conscious, do you think, of the losses? So he's aware of it.
0: Yeah. My my brother lives only a mile away, so he sees him every day. He he said he's occasionally forgotten. I mean, I presume it'll get worse, but at the moment, no, he's he's very aware Mm. and he talks about them in the past, but he's definitely has forgotten a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. But then that's the way it goes. You know, a sort of, it's a sort of strange roller coaster. of, uh, he gets very frustrated with himself.
1: Sometimes people would say to me, oh, I'm so lucky that hasn't happened to me. And I, you know, especially with my sister, cause it does feel a bit odd. It's a life interrupted as well, bit, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And, and she had kids and, and I would say, well, I'm Christmas future. Really? so yeah. <laughs> Christmas yet to come. Yeah. I hate to be pedantic,
0: <laughs> but it's Christmas yet to come. Um, <laughs> no, I, absolutely. Anyone was going to
1: correct me. <laughs> um, um, you're and right. that's a, quite a terrible thing. Christmas yet to, to come. Say, but it's
0: true. And mm. also, um, I think I thought there's a lot. Oh, my sister died, and then, uh, unfortunately, terribly, her husband died two years later of a stroke. Oh, no. And so uh, my nephews were orphaned. And it's an extraordinary Dickensian, <laughs> oddly enough, Dickensian sort of situation. But I remember thinking very strongly at the time that if you reach my dad's nearly 90, if you mm-hmm. reach that age, you're still going, mm-hmm. and you've vaguely you've got your wits. That's a real blessing. It's, yeah. The real, the really outrageous thing is people going in their 50s yeah. and stuff or, or younger. It's just not fair. Otherwise, you know, you can't complain. It's that's in a great lifespan. A lot of good times, a lot of amazing things to have happened. But it's the interruption, as you say, that's, that yeah. feels so unfair.
1: But I do think, I suppose this is a good a place as any to end it, because you need to go and see that nice friend in Ian. I think, um, the stuff that you've done throughout your career, whether you're acting or writing or creating, I love the fact that you explore that side of, um, humanity and life. Sometimes it is dark. And life is dark. And I believe in order to appreciate the light, you have to have that as well. Mm. I don't think you can have one without the other, personally. I agree.
0: Do you? Bittersweet, that's what it's all about. It's, yeah. it's, 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 not, it's not even a sort of mission statement, that's what life's yeah. like. <laughs> and sometimes I think those kind of, it's weirdly, it seems a weird thing to say, it's one of the great triumphs of latter-day Disney is they have finally embraced that from being genuinely the creators of Pollyanna, <laughs> uh, from being this sort of outrageously saccharine white picket fence kind of machine, they have properly embraced wonderful films like Inside Out, you know, or Coco. have you seen
1: Coco? No, I need to see or that. Is it incredible? It's a film about death. It's yeah. a children's film about oh, death. Oh, I love it.
0: And incredibly celebratory, but that's what it's about. Mm. And you know, that's, that has to be what all good stuff is about I think it's both things at the same time because that's what life is and uh, I I love all of my favourite things have aspects of that they have pathos and broad humour they have light and shade because you know it's also like the false distinction between gritty drama and comedy you know gritty drama tends to win the big baftas because it's like unremittingly bleak the best stuff is is bleak and silly at the same time, because that's what happens.
1: Mark, you said at the beginning, or at some point during our chat, that you found it hard to say no and you, and I can see that and (laughs) I don't want to be responsible for you being nice and sitting here when you've got your lovely husband and your nice friend and they need you now because I've had my time with you. I've loved meeting you. We can't hug, but can we elbow? You can.
0: It's all we can do these Um, days.
1: Can you give Ray a Ray,
0: however, can get it all. Gets all the affection.
2: Yes.
1: I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.